Today, we are joined by Michael Briggs, Bonafide Boxing. Um, Michael, can you tell us a little bit about kind of yourself and what you do and maybe a bit of the history of kind of how you got into being a striking coach? Uh, yeah, sure. So um, I was always in a martial arts as a kid. I started with uh, freestyle wrestling at a young age. And then when I was training uh, at 12 years old, I started boxing, kickboxing, American kickboxing, taekwondo, um, competing in taekwondo. Uh, and that, that was after I was already, I had already quit wrestling at that point. But then when I saw UFC, I saw Frank Shamrock, I saw these guys doing everything I was learning, but at a really high level. <clears throat> I found out like Randy Couture had like lived near me or was training in Portland, Oregon. And at the time I was living in Vancouver, Washington. So uh, my senior year of high school, I started training with all those guys in, um, in uh, Gresham, Oregon, like Portland, Oregon, which a lot of like the old Team Quest guys, Matt Lindland, Randy Couture, um, Shale Sonnen, Evan Tanner when he was still alive. Um, so uh, I, I started training with all of them. And then I realized I loved it, wanted to keep training, uh, knew that uh, Matt Hume was in Seattle. So I moved there to train under him. And I was under him for 18 years almost before I went out onto my own. So um, I've been around the fight game since 2002. Um, and <clears throat> I started training when I was 12, which was in like 1997. So actually I started wrestling at, at nine, eight, nine, ten. 10. So, um, I mean, I, I started in like early nineties, I guess you could say. <clears throat> and I was, I was highly influenced by obviously like martial arts movies. I love Jean-Claude Van Damme movies. I love the Bruce Lee movies. Um, so I think that uh, also um, I was really into like the superhero aspect of everything. And, and uh, I remember like in comic books, like my favorite characters were the ones that were like the most ripped up. And so it was like, I, and then I felt like Frank Shamrock looked like that. I was like, and Matt Hume looked like that. I was like, these guys look like freaking superheroes. I want to look like a superhero. <clears throat> um, yeah. So either way that that's kind of what got me started in it. And then, yeah, fast forward, like I said, I was under, uh, I was at a gym called AMC Pancration, um, probably most well-known for Demetrius Johnson, but we came out with a lot of fighters in the amount of time I was there. And um, uh, we all, we actually all came up together, but um, uh, I, I was there for 18 years. And then I finally started Bonafide Boxing. I, I started it in about 2012 when I was coaching there, <clears throat> but then I finally went on my own last year. Um, and then I was hired by a YouTuber uh, by the name of iDubbbz. Um, and so he had hired me to train him for a boxing match. And then he ended up throwing a whole event, which turned into a thing called like the creator clash. So then I ended up being a part of that. And it was just funny because after, you know, 20 plus years of being a part of boxing and martial arts, <clears throat> I've, I've, I've made like, uh, probably like the biggest splash doing a, a YouTube boxing event. So it's an interesting world, my friend. Yeah. It's getting in with the people who just got in themselves. Yeah. Yeah. And you were saying uh, before we got on how um, you were kind of late to the social media game, like you, you really didn't start till 2018 was the like YouTube show that would have been before that. Right. So you weren't even like into the online space nearly as much as the people you were working with. Yeah. Oh, no, not at all. Yeah. <clears throat> um, and, and like I said, in 2018, when I got on, I was like, do you realize when you hashtag it like connects you to everything? I was like, I, I was blown away by it like what social media was in 2018 when I went on um I was like this is crazy and then the, the other thing too that was cool to me was like with Instagram was a, a lot of people that I like looked up to in certain um fields were very accessible through Instagram and I was like this is wild like I can actually talk to these people or have conversations with them in the comments um 
<clears throat> so I, I guess I, from that aspect, I find it cool. But yeah, I had stayed off for a long time. I felt like when I was younger um, and I, like around 18, 19 was when like MySpace was really big. <clears throat> and I felt like it was taking up way too much time in my life. And I was like, man, I don't want to be somebody that like lives online watching like other people's lives. I was like, this is crazy. And then fast forward to like, you know, now I have to like make sure I'm not on IG for two hours a day. <laughs> you know, it's like set the alarm, you know, but it, uh, but yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess I knew the, the dangers of social media then, but <clears throat> at the same time, like I also really underestimated the pros of it, of being able to like reach out to people like you guys and um, really like. Uh, connect to a lot of places in the world. What ended up happening, what I realized was that like nobody knew who I was. I'd been in the game since 2002 and I was watching these people come up that started, you know, 10, 15 years after me. And then, and then they were blowing up and I was like, who, who the fuck even are these people? You know, it's like, I even remember when like, uh, for example, like Ariel Hawani is like a very popular um, journalist now. And it's like, I even remember when he was coming up and I was like, what are your credentials, man? Who do you think you want to be talking about this sport? Right. And that, that was like, you know, probably mid early mid 2000s or something. So it's just like I was around it for so long, but then nobody knew who I was unless you had come to our gym or been a part of what I was a part of. And then so I started to realize, man, like, if I want to actually build a business, people need to know who the hell you are. So then, then I got into the social media aspect of, from that sense of being like, I, uh, I, I don't want to be braggadocious because in the martial arts, aspect, I mean, the same with like fitness field and PPTs. Um, there's so much bad shit out there that we're almost afraid to be like that guy putting so much out there, especially earlier on. Cause it, so like, many I, that guy still. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But, but, and, Earlier on, though, it really had a stigma of, like, if you're putting yourself out there, like, you really don't know your shit. Because the people that know their shit are known in these industries, right? People knew who knew their shit in martial arts. Um, and then all of a sudden, it, like you said, it like all these people were putting shit out there that was horrible, but they were getting kind of famous. Um, <clears throat> I, I won't even name names, but there's people, like, that I've seen blow up in a short amount of time. But what they would do... So with our coach, we weren't, you weren't allowed to spar for like at least four months out of the gym. You'd have to kind of learn our system, get comfortable. And then even then you'd have to like qualify to be able to spar out of our gym. While a lot of other gyms, they let people spar that have no idea what they're doing. And if you spar somebody that has no idea what they're doing, you can do anything to them. You could look like you're fucking Muhammad Ali. You could look like you're the greatest kickboxer in the world. Like you're, I could look like I'm the greatest wrestler in the world world when somebody doesn't know how to fucking wrestle in front of me right and then you put me in front of somebody d1 and they're all of a sudden fucking pinning me down and put me on my back so it's like uh it, it's so relative but what they would do is they would take highlights of them beating the shit out of people that have no idea what they're doing and then they would build these huge followings off of that, that. <clears throat> um and so it was so for, from like our aspect it was like man these people wouldn't even be allowed to spar at our gym and here these people are putting up highlight reels of beating these people up and for me, that was always like, for, for me, that was a red flag. But at the same time, like these people were getting massive on social media to the point where even people I respected were following them and reaching out to them. And I'm like, this is crazy. Um, so like you said, man, it's like some of these people, it's like fake it till you make it. They beat up people that don't know what they're doing until they become famous. And then at that point, they build connections to where now they can go train under good people anyways. So in four years from now, they'll probably be pretty good. 
But right now they fucking suck. They just pretend they're good. It's crazy. We see that a lot in different uh, variations of systems or like trainers or uh, coaches that apply their own me- their own methods. And they, they found something that either is well received by uh, the governing body that or the general populace uh, or it's something that has been talked on enough that regardless of the conversation, there's not enough clinical study that any topic or any conversation on it is good conversation. And I imagine that uh, I, I've come across a number of single discipline people and usually it's not to their benefit if they're teaching or they're coaching, but you having started with wrestling and now being a boxing coach, what is your consideration of all the people that you see that, I don't know, they say they stay in their own lane and they tell you that they're a fight coach or whatever, having only done one thing. And then they can tell you definitively, they know all the answers with that one thing. Uh, See, I don't, I think back in the day, that was more of a thing especially with like boxing coaches and stuff. I think nowadays people cross train so much. So like high level coaches, like respect the sport. Uh, So for example, like uh, when I, like Jose Benavidez senior went out to Seattle and I would go uh, put in work with them when I could. And, uh, and, and I feel like they understand, like, like I've seen them talk to Henry Cejudo and these guys. So they understand, like, we're not going to like take boxing and beat this high level MMA guys in an MMA fight. We'll beat the shit out of them in, in our field. So I think now people are more uh, likely to stay in their field. But back in the day, it was crazy because it was like our style is the best style and we will beat up everybody with this one thing. So back in the day, I saw a lot more of it. Now I don't really see too much of it. If they're good coaches, I feel like they do have a good understanding of like, oh, yeah, you might like boxing is good for boxing, but if somebody's gonna like Clint, like take shoot a freestyle double leg takedown, really fucking good. My yeah. boxing isn't gonna stop that, right? So, um, once uh, once you under like it was Randy Couture versus James Tony, right? He just level changes. It's hard to punch somebody that low. They put you on your back. They beat you up. So, in in that aspect, I feel like nobody's really taken their one style. However, I do still see um, uh, there, there is some coaches, though, that really feel like, you know, their way is the only way. So there, there is a lot of coaches will be like, you only pivot on this foot or you only have your hands in this position ever. And you, you never slip a jab because then you're putting yourself in front of the right hand. And then you see, like, everything is for me, like with, with martial arts, with boxing, with fighting, like everything is so much in the moment and with the feeling i remember there, there was a ufc fighter named mario miranda and one day this guy's trying to like school him on grappling and tell him all this stuff and be like yeah you're supposed to go here and you're supposed to do that and he went through like 10 minutes of stuff and then mario looks at him and he goes it's a feeling and i was like that's the best answer because like there's so many things with like martial arts or with boxing or wrestling where uh, there's what's right for the moment. And then there's what's right, if that makes sense. And so yeah. some people will say like, so for example, like I'm not going to teach somebody a Philly shell when they first learn boxing, I'll probably teach them hands up, cheekbone level, elbows in, you know, move the hands and the head together. But does that mean a Philly shell's wrong? No. So it's like, um, uh, eventually over time, you'll, you'll add tools to the, like D- DJ would always talk about, he, he has a toolbox and he has all these tools and he can pull out, pull out the right tool at the right time. So I feel like when you're a good coach, 
you understand that there's so many methods for the right time. So for example, like if you have your hands a certain way, you can only throw punches from certain trajectories. When I start changing the level of my hands, I can change the trajectory of the punch. And then once that happens, like everything is about like angles and leverage. And when we can create different angles, different trajectory, different leverages, then I'm going to create a better advantage. I agree with you wholeheartedly there. I think that uh, that's more a testament to like rhythm and dance, like uh, uh, consistently maintaining flow. Uh, I, you said something, it's a, it's a feeling that uh, your, your buddies or uh, fellow coaches uh, reaction to the answer was uh, or the question was, it's a feeling. Um, I noticed when we were working together, you were one of the most sensitive or capable of translating my wild verbiage into, oh, this is what you mean. And like, it would be almost like an immediate uh, showing of what I had said. And it's very rare that I have that, uh, have that ability with a client where I can say something and it shows up that quickly. Um, thing I noticed with high level athletes and you having, uh, dealt with so many professionals and you, did you, you, you fought professionally for a period? I've, I only fought as an amateur. Matt wouldn't turn right. anybody pro. Matt never turned it. Matt know. turned in 15 years. He probably turned, uh, Karos Froder, Brent Knopf, Demetrius Johnson and Scott McDonald were the four people he turned pro, um, out of probably, we had a stable of probably like 50, hundred fighters or something over their career. That's wild. Yeah. I could only imagine the amount of testosterone in that room at any given moment. But back to that point, uh, something I've noticed with almost every single one of the athletes I've trained is that you guys have, uh, a visceral communication with your body that supersedes having to think through the, the mechanics to it. So it's not like a, you look through your, your computer and you see oh i could put this here i could put this here i could put this here like you say it's a feeling and you appropriate how to manage it by way of oh this feels like what you had said um have you noticed that in uh, the athletes you train versus the non-athletes so like you've trained a, a number of youtubers versus a number of professional athletes what is your comparative do they do they, in your opinion, work through that sensory lens or do they work through some kind of different thing that you notice? So <clears throat> that's so funny. So, yeah, and don't get me wrong. It's not like, oh, all athletes have great proprioception um, <clears throat> with you. Like, so, so when I was working with you, like one of my biggest things that I, I, I never was so aware of was like intraperception or uh, Andrew Huberman says enteroperception, right? Um, anyways, I'm always like, how the fuck do you say it? But anyways, uh, uh, when, when I worked with you, I, I, I became more aware of that. I, I always knew about proprioception. I, I think we all know about extra perception. Otherwise you can just fucking run into everything. Um, but it, very few people are aware of like really what's going on inside. <clears throat> uh, so for example, like one of the things that like you, you blew my mind the most with was when I was breathing, like okay, like, do you feel your back rib cage when you breathe? Or is it just all chest? And for me, it's always been all chest. Remember, I was like, dude, I sit on my lower back. When I sit down, I go to sit in my lower back. I, do I don't remember. Sit on my butt. Um, and so there, there was always weird things, right? So it's like, once you start to realize, oh, okay, I'm sitting on my low back. I'm not sitting on my butt or like between my legs. And then, um, or, or like, oh, okay can I feel my lower or my, my ribs move when I breathe? So all those things started to give me like, 
a, a different view of the awareness within inside myself that I don't think most people uh, ever pay attention to. So for some of my clients, I'll all work with on things like that. I'll be like, hey, breathe right now. And hey, do you ever feel your back ribs breathing? And they're like, what the fuck? No, I don't feel my back ribs when I breathe. You know, they're like, what the fuck? Anyway, so uh, but as far as that goes, so that's kind of what that gave me. And uh, I always take work I do with coaches and try to bring it back to when I work with my people as well. So some of the things we would do, I would try to do with some of my clients if it would, if I think it would click. Like I only have my client usually for an hour. So, I, and I'm trying to usually give them as much boxing information, but I'm also trying to give them like life information. I mean, as a coach, you're doing everything. You're a therapist. You're doing all sorts of stuff with people. Yeah, for real. So, um, I, I really try to give them like a feeling of like proprioception and, and uh, more interoperception or interoception. So that way they can kind of feel the movements on their own and correct things on their own. Right. And usually when you're with better athletes, they have that better feeling, but some of them were just such a good athlete that they can just do things and they don't feel it. And other people um, <clears throat> can't do it or can't feel it. Right. But then when you can make them feel it, they can usually do it. And what, what my biggest thing with techniques is like, when you can feel what's right, I don't need to tell you what's wrong. I don't need to tell you your shoulder was too high, your elbow turned over too late. I don't need to tell you your hand was too low, your feet were in the wrong place. <clears throat> when you feel what's right, it becomes like a feeling from the ground, through your midline, through the hands, through everything. The coach feels it on the pads, everything, right? So when we feel what's right, I don't need to correct what's wrong. When I'm working with higher level athletes, they can usually feel what's right quicker when you're working with people that have never been an athlete, sometimes they don't know what to feel at all. They've never felt anything. They never played a sport in their life. When I took Ian Idubs, he, he had never played basketball. A, a lot of people with basketball can like understand, they understand contact, like a crossover is very similar to like a lot, of, a lot of moves in basketball can be similar to moves in boxing, similar to moves in wrestling, right? Um, a, a, lot of, a lot of moves, um, rotation from baseball, throwing balls, right? football, throwing, hitting. There's so many sports that can I can kind of relate back to boxing. But if you've never done any sport in your life, <clears throat> other than like gaming and being on a computer, because that's where you made your living, it's very hard to be like, oh, okay, um, we need to have everything here. So I have to give them as much interoperception and teach them proprioception as, as quickly as possible to get them on a higher level. And so, I mean, I have boxing drills to do that, but it's also kind of like, getting uh, I'll have them like freeze in moments to make sure they feel everything from the ground through their midline through their target and then and then I can take people that haven't done things for very long I was fortunate AMC was right next to Google and Microsoft one we were fortunate because it's fucking money uh, uh, but two we were fortunate because uh, I would get a lot of people that were never athletes and I would train them within a short amount of times to be able to hold pads for athletes or train mm -hmm. alongside the athletes so maybe these guys were never going to fight, but they could at least like work with the amateur team or alongside the amateur team. Right. Matt never really had us separated until later on. Then he separated everything. But before everything was kind of together and when everything was together, it, it was like these people that might have been a Microsoft nerd were like, dude, I'm training right next to Rich Franklin and Tim Boach or whatever. So these these guys that might have been like a Microsoft nerd are like, oh, OK, well. In a short amount of time, I was able to get them in like six, eight months to be able to hold pads for these guys or at least train alongside them. So 
uh, I, I always prided myself on being able to take people that even weren't athletic, but being able to turn them into people that could train with athletes. I'm not going to say I could turn them back into an athlete themselves, but I could at least make it look like so they could compete with the athletes or train with, train with them, you know, which was like, I mean, in Ian, I took Ian from 10 months of he had never boxed a day in his life <clears throat> other than some joke stuff that he did. But other than like some literal joke boxing that he did, he had never boxed a day in his life, never learned anything real, never done a real sport. And in 10 months, he fucking fought in front of 12,000 people. It was insane. So that is crazy. Uh, when, you, when you're talking about uh, helping somebody feel what's right, where do you start is it just in their stance like kind of giving them a sense of that grounded feeling the midline through the floor like you said is that kind of like the root of everything for you so so first i say like with boxing you never want to be pushed or pulled over and it's not that you can't ever be pushed or pulled over but if somebody tries they reach out to push you you can sock them in the face <clears throat> if they reach out to pull you you can punch them in the face so i call it always ready right i'm, that's I'm like cool, oh, that's like a at any given moment, I could just. <laughs> well, and, and that, that's how I want to feel. I don't want to feel like I need to set to punch somebody. I want to feel like not only am I ready to punch somebody, but I'm ready to defend as well. With boxing, it's beautiful. Defense and offense are, are one. It's not like when I slip a punch, I'm loading a punch. When I roll a punch, I'm loading a punch. When I roll a punch, I can throw. When I slip, I can throw. Like everything is so in unison but like my offense and defense can all be one and can all work together so what i try to teach them is that fr from your starting base i don't want you to ever feel like you could be pushed or pulled over and if you ever feel like you get pushed over or pulled over you probably can be so you're probably in a bad position to begin with so we start with like the heel toe line i actually go deep into i, I break things down into midline from front and side so I, I come up with quadrants. So instead of just standing on like everyone talks about the heel toe line, I break it down into you have your heel toe line here to the target, but I still have my center line from my front side to my back side, right? How much weight do you have forward? How much weight do you have back? And so I call these quadrants of where you would want your weight. And I say like, if you're going to throw a football, you're not going to be once your weight in your front foot to throw a ball really far. I'd probably load back farther to throw a ball far. It's similar with boxing. If you want to hit somebody harder, you might need to sit down a little more in that back foot. If you don't want to hit them as hard, maybe lean in that front foot, touch them a little bit, right? So, so there's, there's all these places that we can be to put ourselves to create power. I call them positions of power, all of these things, right? So once you, once you get the feeling of, okay, it's hard for me to get pushed or pulled over, then you kind of have your baseline stance, right? So we go through the baseline stance, the quadrants where you want your hands to be pushed or pulled over. And then from there, <clears throat> I'll make sure that like when they freeze in a position that they're in a strong position. So if you slip a punch, not can you never be pushed or pulled over? Obviously, if I slip, eventually somebody push me over. But when I slip, if they try to push me over, could I sock them in the face? When they slip, if they try to push me over, could I hit their liver? Could I hit their solar plexus? Could I try to break their ribs under their diaphragm? So I'm always thinking about these things, um, uh, making sure that they're in these positions. Once you feel those positions, like, uh, okay, you slipped a punch, it's hard to push you, pull you over. You're here, it's hard to push or pull you over. Now you understand defensive positions, and then I go through offense. So I have them freeze, so you throw a jab. All right, well, freeze when this jab lands. Where is the power coming from? So I'll push into the hand. We'll there. <clears throat> I'll make sure that they feel the power is coming from the ground. <clears throat> if they don't feel where the power comes from, then we're going to do this until they can actually feel 
oh, when I push him to the ground on my right foot, like I, I almost get him to understand vector force loads without ever teaching him vector force loads. Hey, when you push here, it generates power here. When you turn here, push here, that's where the power comes from. So I get them to feel where that comes from. <clears throat> and now they're kind of understanding what feels correct. Oh, okay. Then they get the audible pop of the punch when that punch rolls over and they know what it's supposed to sound like. And then especially if you're using, if you're using paddles, okay, you want that loud slap. If you're using um, noodles, it's not going to have that same slap, but you want that, you want a nice like uh, stretch reflex on the punch, good like snap on the punch, right? <clears throat> so I'll, <clears throat> I'll teach them how to be grounded, where to feel yourself when you're throwing the punch, where that power came from. After that, I take them through drills to teach them stretch reflex. So I'll put a pool noodle in their hand. I'll put something in their hand that's long enough, like a, a punch stick or something that's long enough. So when they punch, I could see that stretch reflex of the hand. Do it, Does the hand stop here and come back or does it actually roll over to where it's hard to see? So I'll, I'll do certain drills to make them, they feel stretch reflex. They feel where their power comes from. <clears throat> they understand. So posture, posture and footwork to me, two biggest things. Posture ensures whether or not I could defend or hit people. Um, footwork ensures whether or not I'm in a safe place or in a place to hit somebody, right? So if you have good posture, you can really hit somebody or defend well. If you have bad posture, you're fucked no matter what, regardless of where you're at. <clears throat> so, um, and, and, but the thing is, is like posture for fighting isn't good posture for life, which is what fucked me up because posture for fighting, right? I'm a little more hunched over. There's a little rounding in the thoracic spine. My shoulders are a little rounded to protect the chin. I'm really loose. And I don't want to walk around like this. Like I would say, I would never walk around Safeway like this. People would fucking be like, dude, this guy's going to do something. And then, uh, so, so I'm like in life, in life, I have to walk around with a smile. Hey, I'm happy. Right. Um, but when I'm in the ring, I, I, I call it looking through their soul. Boom. You check in. Now I'm looking through their soul. My chin is down. I'm ready. Uh, so anyways, that's kind of a long answer to how I'll go through these certain steps to get them to feel these things. So now they feel stretch reflex. They feel where the power comes from. They literally, they literally feel their, they don't understand they're feeling their midline um, unless they're kind of a higher level fighter, but they do feel the power come from the ground. So they do feel the grounded feeling. And eventually I really try to get people to understand that like, hey, powers, grapplers understand powers from the midline the easiest way because out here you're weak, yeah. here you're strong, right? So grounded, for grapplers, it's easy stuff. to be midline but for boxers and people they really want to fucking swing wide everyone's like yeah. if i swing really wide and time and place for that but most of the time it's like we want to keep these things on the midline so that way nothing is coming uh off midline right when i can keep everything and that's one of the things it's like okay i'm learning from nathan okay midline awareness like where all these things and then i'm able to transfer that back into things i learned from when i was wrestling at eight years old to oh okay matt hume taught me this oh okay uh curtis schuster taught me this maurice smith taught me this I'll, I'll put all these things together and then i'll be like oh man and then make it a system on my own pretty much so i got a question for you um <clears throat> two rather actually uh the stretch reflex you were you you mentioned would you equate uh boxing uh the strike uh I, would you co compare it or give it the equivalency of when you're sprinting and your foot hits the ground and the force tolerance or the you're essentially sticking out a lever of full stiff arm and your goal is not to 
push the thing away, but uh, exhibit as much force through the limb where you can uh, essentially draw on the force that you sent out to reciprocate another motion. Do you feel like it's a, it's the same thing? You're essentially running with your hands? A brilliant way to put that if, if people can understand that. Yeah. <laughs> that but that's because that's a, that's a, I'll tell people all the time. So, so for example, something that people want to do when they throw a punch, they want to lock out their elbow. Oh, if I throw a straight punch, my arm is straight. I say, hey, when you put your arm straight at your side, do you lock your elbows out? When you walk, do you lock your knees out? If you wanted to fucking run, would you ever lock your legs out? No, you wouldn't, unless you want to tear your fucking ACL um, or just anything, right? So, uh, <clears throat> so I'm like, I, I tell people all the time, a sprinter doesn't lock his knees out. Don't lock your elbows out. So it's pretty much the exact same thing. Um, but I love what you said. You're using your motion to kind of create something that creates almost its own motion or a different motion, right? So for like for sprinting right that's that like you you hit the ground that springs you back up when you're punching it almost so so for it, it that could be a few things when you punch it could be a torque of the punch right it could be that roll through which could create a motion or it could even be just be a clobber of a punch that could create a, the wave of emotion right yeah. uh, so so that there's a few different like so the, two, the two you just mentioned if i if i were to like describe the two uh you say uh, the second one, like uh, a wave or like uh, clobbering, I would say that would be more like Tyson when he like swings his body mass and you can see him almost slide across the ground laterally. And then he's like underneath someone and he's prem for like a uh, an uppercut or something. And then the other one, this is what like Goda talks on, for example, the rotation. When you have all those, so... When you lock out your elbow, like you say, most people like to do it like this, and they're almost putting too much pressure into the backside of their elbow as opposed to rolling over the outermost part of their forearm. Um, but it's because this guy's two bones, this guy's one, and depending on which part of the hand you're focusing the tension through, you're going to end up either one bone or the other. Um, and if you don't have the ability like the sprinting mechanism to deload that rotation or be able to re-exhibit the kinetic back up the limb because you're stuck in one line, you're going to start building out that competency. Um, you have huge arms, big shoulders. Uh, what would you, uh, as it's mostly striking that didn't, you weren't like going around lifting as much as you were hitting things or like holding up pads. Why is it that your arms developed and they didn't get tight or didn't get small? What would you say created that for you? Uh, so I, I'm kind of fortunate. Like, um, I mean, I'm, I'm always ectomorph, right? I've always been skinny. But at the same time, my mom put me in gymnastics at five. I competed in gymnastics from five to eight. And then after I got in gymnastics, was shortly after that was when I started freestyle wrestling. So yeah. I was already able to, like, do the rings and do all these things from, a, from somewhat of a younger age. So... I'm not sure how much is genetics, how much is training from a young age, uh, but um, I, I mean, and how much is just like, like I said, blessed genetics. Uh, you got a lot of motor recruitment. You, you I, 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 I do work I've, and I do work hard as hell though. I work hard. All, I work. For, I mean, I train all day, all the time. Like I'm always coaching. I'm always doing things, but I would say, um, I, yeah, I think 
I'd say a lot of the muscle development was probably was just from the work I've done between like, I think doing the gymnastics as a kid. And then also kind of, uh, I, I remember like looking up to my dad when he would like lift weights and, uh, my dad would, my dad, I remember he would say this thing where he was like, all the Mexicans tell me I'm buff in prison. <clears throat> and it always like stuck with me. I was always like, what the hell? And my, and it, it makes sense. Cause my dad was always in immigration prison. Cause my dad wasn't a citizen. So when my dad went to prison, he went to prison with all the Mexicans. So I never understood it when I was young, but then as I grew older, I was like, oh, that's what he meant. But anyways, uh, so, but, but I, I guess I've always had a thing for like, uh, I, I, and it's funny cause I'm so self-conscious. I think my arms are weak. I'm always surrounded by like rugby players or, or like all these other professionals at the gym. So in, in my mind, like, it's funny. So when I'm on the field, so I'll, I, I help the uh, Seattle Seawolves. I'll be their hitting coach for a few weeks of the year. I'll go and I'll help them with their practices for uh, tackling or just, uh, I would say like winning first contact is my biggest thing. Cause for rugby, when you can win that first contact, uh, you can create, like you can drive them back. So when we win first contact and we can drive them back and then that kind of creates momentum for us, um, especially when we're hitting people. So anyways, so when I'm working with the rugby team, like, I feel like I'm the same size as them. And then I see pictures of myself with them and I'm like, fuck, I'm so small. Or like, for me, I'm like, so, uh, I'm so, uh, what's it called? Like, uh, I have such bad body dysmorphia. I always feel like in the morning, like I'm the skinniest person in the world. And like, I need to do everything I can to put on some mass. So, uh, so I, I, I guess like for me, I'm always doing, like I'll do lots of pull-ups. Um, I, I don't do anything really crazy, I guess, for the arms, but I just do lots of like pull-ups, I guess, and things like that to try to keep good arms. But then uh, I guess the looseness of the arms probably just comes from constantly training. Did you notice that you were able to ground yourself or what, what improvements came about? Because uh, it's been a while since we trained, but I remember having watched you uh, get more connected to your legs and ankles, almost as if it was like a, oh my goodness, I didn't know that, that I wasn't doing this before. Um, what did you notice improve in your own ability to strike or coach or uh, in your own body I, I, language? I use a lot of your stuff, man. So like, I, um, I never, I didn't understand midline stuff until I started working with you. I, I understood grounded forces. I understood vector force loads. I didn't understand midline. Um, and then I, obviously I was doing the RMT rope and things like that, but I never had like the intraperception to understand midline and where power is coming from and how to have the power come out of your midline. So working with you, like gave me that, which is insane. Like that alone is fucking priceless, but also like, and then I would take little things like when you were talking about um, like rolling the hand over, I'll use your cue of, Hey, feel your ring finger. Okay. Your ring finger connects to your ulna nerve. So when you feel that, when you feel that now I know where to roll over at, feel that when you roll the punch over. Right. So I would use, I would literally use that. Um, I, I didn't understand. I never understood that before. I never felt that before. Right. I never was like, Oh, the end nerve of your arm is what you should feel when you roll that over. And then that's what connects through back to your midline. And then that's when your body tells us, okay, that's where that power is coming from. And then the ground, cause we're grounded. Oh shit. And then now, okay, we can create more force through there. Um, so, I mean, I didn't understand any of that shit until I started working with you. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't like aware of 
here's the thing, right? With like the and, and it's so it's so weird because with like Chinese martial arts, like I'm a, I was always aware of fascia, right? I'm aware of fascia and like fascial training and like yeah. especially and then like I'm aware of like the the uh, the fascial lines, the way they run through the body and this and that. Um, but I wasn't so aware of like the nerves of being like, oh, okay, feel this nerve to feel this outer area. I would feel them when they would get fucking crushed, right? When they when so like everyone talks about like the calf kick being so new. I remember so I would I used to help George Rizal train for his fight camps when he fought in UFC and he was fighting a guy named Cole Miller, and and it pissed me off because George was beating his ass and then 45 seconds left he hops into Cole's garden with triangle and Cole literally had to leave the ring in a fucking wheelchair because George kicked the shit out of his leg so much. But fucking George hopped into his fucking garden got triangle. I was so upset. But anyways, I was George's like main sparring partner for that. And in the beginning of camp, I was doing really well with him. Towards the end of camp, he was like fucking me up so bad. And one of the days we were sparring, that's like, hey, you guys are doing three fives. And I was like, man, I'm not in shape to go fucking three fives. And in the first fucking round, George kicks me and I go to check it, but I didn't turn my leg out. So I brought my leg up. Boom. And I, he calf kicks me. My whole leg goes dead. I, I put my foot down. I'm like, oh, shit, my leg doesn't work. Matt, my leg doesn't work. And Matt's like, throw on an extra shin pad as if like that makes it feel better. Right. So I spend the next like 12 minutes just getting fucked up by George, literally like head kicks that I'm like, I'm like, dude, if my hands weren't up, you, there's oftentimes where you'll get hit and you're like, that would have locked me out. But during that spine session, I was just like so many shots. I was like, dude, that would have knocked me the fuck out. Oh, shit. And then I couldn't use my front leg. And I, I was trying, like I said, for like 12 minutes, I was even trying to get him to sub me out. I was like, sub me out. My leg doesn't work. Sub me out. He's like, no, nah, it's good. Because I think he really wanted George to just fuck me up to get really confident for camp. It's something he'd have DJ to too, right? Like everyone talks about like having all these high level training partners. Those are good for certain times of camp. But sometimes you just need to kind of like use your skills and fuck somebody up. They talk about how Hodger Gracie got so good at grappling when he moved to London, everyone was worried Hodger Gracie was going to like not have anyone good to work with. And then all of a sudden he's like, oh, I could just choke the fuck out of everybody in London. So we got used to choking every single person in London and choked out everybody in the world. Right. And it was a similar thing. At AMC where like DJ got so used to beating up people that weren't pro fighters that he could do these things against pro fighters. Right. Um, and so anyway, so George is just fucking me up. And uh, and so I've, I've felt times where I felt the calf kick where the leg goes dead. I felt that shit before Ben Henderson did it, before any of these guys were doing the UFC, right? But it's like, dude, if you just fought enough, you've been kicked enough fucking places, and you felt your arm go numb, you fucking yeah. torn your ankle, you've broke forearms, whatever the hell. So, um, yeah, so, so it's like I've felt those nerves, but I never understood how to be like, hey, feel it when it's not fucked up. Feel it when it's healthy and then be able to like use that to help yeah. your movement, if that makes sense. Would you uh, in that in that same light, would you attest to if if people the same way you said earlier, most athletes or high level athletes don't feel what they're doing, but they can still do it. Would you suggest that because they have a tendency to feel it or have felt it through injury and then like rectify the discomfort or whatever they, they heal it? Uh, would you. uh would you suggest that most people you've worked with are sympathetic, that they're stressed, that they're in a state of almost uh, disassociation from feeling and 
uh, stimulus that they're almost reacting before they respond? Uh, uh, the moment people get in, I say always ready, man, that's fight or flight. Always ready is fight or flight. So always ready is sympathetic as hell. Um, from the moment we start, I'm like hitting them. I'm, I'm, I'm doing these things. Your, your endorphins are up. You're not feeling any fucking pain. Like I'll, I'll, I'll have some crazy injuries and then I'll be training some people. And the more into it I get, I almost have like, my girl's always like, you need to calm the fuck down. Like, cause I almost get so into some of the sessions that I'll be like, if I'm injured, I'll like forget. Cause you just have all these endorphins going. Um, so we're, we're, we're in this constant state, but then, like you said, then when you go back and you're, and we're trying to like feel these parasympathetic and you're like, Oh damn, I'm fucked up. Um, yeah. So, so it's, uh, it, my, my job is like keeping people sympathetic the whole time they're there and almost even telling them the other fucked up thing too, is I'm like, Hey, work through your pain. Like, I don't give a fuck if you're hurt, like work through it. Cause I had to work through it and no, don't get me wrong. And, and there's a difference between like pain and injuries, right? If you're injured, I don't want you to work through a fucking injury. So for example, like Ian got shin splints like six weeks out before the fight. So he couldn't run or jump rope. So we had to like work ways around that. And as a boxing coach, I'm like, I want you running five miles fucking five days a week. I want you jumping rope before every session for 10 minutes, right? So when there's things like that happening and I'm like, damn it, we can't do these things and we got to figure out ways around them, um, then then I can't be like, work through it, work through it, right? Because if you have shin splints, you can't just fucking keep running. It was gonna, especially if we have a fight in six weeks, right? um so so there so there is times where i have to be respectful of like the injuries um or any anytime it's an injury you have to be respectful of it and try to figure out a way to work around it but other times it's like man i'm i'm trying to put people in a sympathetic state to where they're fucking they'll work through their pain and and the thing is i i try to like embody that like it, when the people see me train like i always say fitness sucks i'm always like fitness fucking sucks because it, it when you when you're at a level of fitness nothing's easy when you're at yeah. a certain level of fitness, you have your recovery day, which is okay. But like when, when you're trying to like increase a level of fitness and you're fit, it's fucking horrible, man. Totally. Especially, especially for boxers. It's like, it's cardio. <clears throat> I mean, you learn to love it because it's because you just like almost fucking sick with like love and pain or whatever. Right. But it's, um, but it, it's, it, it, it's hard and it sucks. And then that's the thing. That's why like a lot of people don't want to do, I'm like, I'm like, but besides diet, like having a six pack is like, it can be hard work unless you just fucking have like a clean ass diet. Then yeah, you can have a six pack without hard work. Coming from but the guy that was like born with one. Right. <laughs> exactly. Genetics too. Genetics. Right. Yeah. But I'm like, but, but like, e even though I have a six pack, people are like, Oh, you're genetic. You like, without question. I'm like, I work so fucking hard yeah. when I do ab work, when I'm doing ab work, it's weighted. I'm, I'm putting fucking, you know, I have, my feet through the cables, pulling them up. Everything is not, nothing is easy. You know, at yeah. any moment you could shit your pants. Not really, but you know what I'm saying? It's like, not, it, it's like the ab work isn't fun. The ab work isn't easy. The fitness levels, when you're at a high level of fitness, it's like that work isn't always, um, I'm, I make it fun cause I love it. But if you were outside looking in, you might be like, dude, that's fucking horrible. So you know that um, feeling of the intensity increasing and it gets like hotter, it gets louder or it gets brighter all of a sudden. And then everything is increasingly more focal in that respect. Like you have to give more attention to what you're doing. Otherwise, you're going to lose interest. Yeah. 
Oh yeah. Uh, oh, oh yeah. Yeah. So, and, and that's why I'm, I'm all, that's another thing, right? If, if I'm having people pay for sessions, I need to keep them engaged. So yeah. I'm trying to always have that like engagement, you know? And that's why like yeah. for, for me, pad work, uh, like, don't get me wrong. Sometimes we'll drill things in pad work. Sometimes it'll be like, okay, we need to work on a certain technique. So we'll drill that technique over and over um, to the point where it's almost boring. But most of the time for pad work, I'm always trying to like to, to embody like the always ready. I'll throw any punch at any time. So all of them throw a combination and then I'm going to return with any combination back or at any moment, I'll just throw a jab. Because when, when you're sparring or when you're fighting, you don't know when the person's going to throw a punch. So if, if we have a set combination where I always know when you're going to punch, then I, then I feel like I have this false sense of confidence of actually being ready when you're really not. But then when I can teach people, hey, in between all of these times, can you block punches when you don't know what the hell is coming? And it kind of teaches them, it, it keeps them really engaged. So it's not even just about teaching the offense and defense. Now it's going stay sharp and and like you said the lights are brighter the fucking it, it, usually the music almost shuts off depending on depending yeah. on what kind of mood you're in but sometimes like like w when i'm working out people are like did you want the music on i'm like fuck i thought the music was on i was like yeah. <laughs> um, uh, anyway how would, how would you say the contrast was kind of having that mind state for a lot of your workouts having a ton of power output all the time everything's really hard and then going into like working with nathan where so much of it is just like sitting and feeling stuff and there's not as much output but there's more like internal focus was that like a difficult transition initially uh yes uh yes and no because i knew that's what i was gonna get into with him i knew we weren't gonna and especially like bro what was fucking shocking is what he sees through here and, and I guess I, I can relate it to like people when, when I'm watching somebody do something and I'm like, oh, you didn't pivot. You didn't hip, you didn't rotate your shoulder. And people are like, how did you see that? That's how I feel like Nathan is. But with your whole body, when you breathe or do anything, it's, it's it was fucking crazy. So I, with him, I kind of expected, OK, I'm going to be more laid back. But I didn't realize I didn't realize how much power is in the parasympathetic. If that makes sense. Uh, yeah. And don't get me wrong, like I, I worked with Joel Jameson for years, so I'm fully aware of recovery. And, and so like not all my workouts are hella hard, but my hard workouts are hard. Right. right. And so not, it's not like I go hard five days a week because I, I go hard two days a week. And then the rest of the workouts are like in between. Right. Or or the heart rate will be high, but it won't be high for long. And I'm just smarter about the way I train. Right. Back in the day, I would go hard five days a week. And then every fight, I'd have a sinus infection. I'd have an injury. And I never understood why. And then I remember my teammate, Brent Knopf, his name was Mankill, right? And he was like fucking ex, like did a Navy SEAL, did, did Bud's train, all this shit. And he was always like, he, he would always be like, you know, sometimes I don't think DJ trains hard enough. Meanwhile, DJ was getting the recovery he needed while we would train through that and not get the recovery we yeah. needed, right? So I understood okay, recovery takes energy and recovery can make you stronger, but I never understood like how powerful you can still be while being parasympathetic or how much power you can still create or use to heal yourself in a way. I hate to sound fucking woo-woo or whatever. Because um, the thing is, is people that don't know it don't understand it. Like I see the comments on his shit and they're like, yeah. <laughs> you, you can't move your fucking diaphragm. Yeah, and it's like, dude. bro, have you watched 
fucking Dixon Gracie fucking yeah. move his diet. What the fuck are you talking about? Right. Like you're so they're, they're so stuck in a textbook or or so stuck in something that's not reality. Um, so the, the reason they're, why they're it's, not, sorry to interrupt, but the reason why it's difficult for people to perceive that dif the difference is because they don't live in a state of inputs they live in a state of outputs so where you're always exhibiting some measure of effort that's concurrent with uh heat or pressure or some type of feedback that your body is viscerally experiencing and so uh you spend most of your day talking to your body and in that respect you have a great limbic relationship and you have a great input relationship meaning whenever it gets super intense in the environment you have the ability to listen to all those stimulus it's to all that stimulus without being sent in a direction of fight or flight from that stimulus. You're able to residuate it. You're able to stay in it. Where most people, when they start to perceive something that uh, interbulates them or gets their heartbeat racing, they don't actualize a calming uh, nature or presentation. They get affected by it because they don't have a tooling in their musculature and their neurology to like. I can handle this. I can process this. Maybe it's because they have trauma. Maybe it's because they have injuries. Maybe it's because they've never trained it. But high-level athletes are sensory. They live in their sensory vehicle. And we can say that it's foo-foo or woo-woo because the language is so coincidental with, like, you're going to go do yoga and you're going to do something that has you moving around a lot, but you don't really know exactly what you did. You just feel good after having moved or breath work like Wim Hof. And you're like, I don't feel like I did any workout, but I feel like I'm exhausted. Yeah, your body, when it exhibits energy and it continues along like a consistent uh, profile, you're going to get rewarded for staying focused. You're gonna, those things are going to be great for someone that doesn't do it often. But just as you were saying, the intensity that you maintain your exercise with, it like increases over time because it's not fun to be less proactive or less intense when you can do more and you're recovered. And it's not like you're going to be more survivable from having done something lesser when you already have the muscle mass. So like all my stuff was built out, like all my muscle was built out having done intense stuff. My ability to maintain it now or like hang out in my body is from maintaining those inputs, not maintaining my output threshold. So I don't have to be in the gym as much. I can breathe through it now and have it be, oh, I feel it because it's already there. It already has the relationship. But now I'm taking out the circumstance or the environment that had to create the stimulus. So the intensity doesn't have to be there. I'm just registering the sensation. And if I can do that continuously with all of my body, just the same way, as I said earlier, you have a lot of neuromotor uh, recruitment because you spent so much time doing grappling and uh, large tense tension exercise, you created tension through your body that does not contend with thought it contends with reflex so like if you're thrown off balance your body's not going to be like oh no oh no it's going to be like i know how to figure this out and that's the biggest thing about grappling i did judo when i was younger and the only thing that i could never throw my fists until recently at least to a degree uh but i could always stay on my feet you couldn't take me off my feet even if you try and that's the ability to stay grounded the ability to deal with inputs or the ability to deal with something that comes your way is not a let me think about how to do this it's a like you you commit to it you brace with it and that's not something you can do if you have to process the thought you have to trust the response 
and that's only something you develop through continued measures of time and you can kind of see that in personalities like if you see i'm going to compare a a uh, fitness program with a, a person that advocates it uh Nality, uh is the runner of fp he's uh renowned for being like very very argumentative online and kind of getting like uh, uh some people would uh, equate it to like a napoleonic complex a little bit uh neither here nor there on how big he is i've never seen him in person but what i do see is someone like yelling with the intensity of a body that does have a physicality to it, but it doesn't look like it's grounded the same way that someone, if they were wrestling, would be. And so you can kind of see that there you exhibit energy where you leak energy if you can't keep it. So like if you're not the person that can ground yourself or deal with stimulus, you're maybe going to react to that stimulus instead of reflex to it. And so there might be like, I'm not even going to allow you in my space because you threaten my non-ability. And so people will define rules around how they can kind of compartment or disassociate. I can't do this, but they're never going to admit that. They're going to be like, I can do it like this. This is how I can do it. They put rules to it instead of being like all around responsive. And uh, that was more a comment than a question. Um, what I see uh, overbearingly is if you don't respond emotionally to the thing uh, in a uh, calm way, you're not going to have any sort of bearing on the interaction. So there does have to be a parasympathetic for you to be able to at least put language to what just happened and how do I feel about it. Even if it was scary, you still have to be calm about that. Right. And I imagine that kind of holds true, like in a fighting context, right? And there's like, obviously, it's a very sympathetic thing, but you'll see somebody who goes full raging bull mode versus somebody who stays a little more parasympathetic, a little more calm, cool and collected. And generally, I'm going to bet on that person. Um, is that something that you've kind of experienced and felt like a shift in as you've gotten more experience with fighting? Yeah, so uh, as you, definitely, I mean, obviously, the, the calmer fighter is going to win, right? Or m most of the time, if, if, if the, when skills when when skills are matched, right, then the calmer guy is probably going to win because the that nervous energy, like, there's always that nervous energy when people first start, right? But usually, it kind of subsides within a couple minutes. With the people that don't know how to like lose that nervous energy. And I mean, don't get me wrong. Some people, some people don't have the nervous energy, right? There are some people that kind of come out and they're calm to begin with. And, um, but more often than not, if you're with somebody that has some weird energy to come out, you almost have to kind of match it a tiny bit. I always say, so, so what ends up happening in the amateurs is guys come out, I, I say they come out into fifth year, fight starts. And I say, you can't stay in first year if they're in fifth year. Because then they're too far ahead, right? They're going to knock your head off. But you don't want to match fifth year with fifth year right away because then now you don't have anything. So I'm like, so you'll match that fifth year with like a third gear. Or, you know, you'll, you'll match up by, by not going as, as high as them, right? And so, um, yeah, so you'll, you'll see the, the fighter that's, like you said, it's a very sympathetic thing as far as like our focus and our reactions. But as far as you want your shoulders parasympathetic. You want your body like loose and reactive in that sense. Cause as soon as you're like, if, if I'm overly sympathetic, then I'm just like fucking stuck. Right. It's a fight, flight, freeze. Right. And, so, and some people, a lot of people, it's not, um, it's not fight or flight. It is freeze. 
because they just get stuck if that makes sense um and so yeah so so you it, it's it's very sympathetic and this is like this is funny because i can talk to you guys about this stuff but i feel like a lot of people don't like i said it's when they're talking about a lot of nathan's like stuff or it, it's it, it almost sounds like woo woo or whatever or even I, I don't know how much people really understand okay para, parasympathetic is relax and sympathetic is fight or flight right so i want to maybe clarify that for people that yeah, aren't yeah, like yeah. familiar right so so when you're in parasympathetic you're relaxed when you're in sympathetic it's fight or flight however uh fight flight freeze right however you need to kind of combine the two to be in a fight because you can't be i can't just be like this guy's not gonna hurt me i'm fucking gonna go to sleep here and i can't be like too sympathetic to the point where you're just stuck in everything so right. so um it, and then you you often see it like it, it's it, there's so many things involved with that right so one might be the the mindset of the guy so in other words sometimes you might hurt somebody and then you just get too excited and you get an adrenaline dump right and so maybe you weren't too too sympathetic to begin with and then you hurt him and you got too sympathetic right so you needed to learn to stay calm in that moment my first fight i have in front of like a big crowd boom i dropped this guy right on his face and i spent so much time celebrating and flexing over the fucking top of him and i was like ah! and then they're like get to a fucking neutral corner and then finally i'm like oh shit it took me forever to get to a neutral corner takes forever for the count because then fucking it's not like they have somebody on the side doing a count so then by the time he's doing a count the guy gets back up well by then i was like oh shit now i'm fucking tired you know so i had to learn in my first fight Hey, just because you drop somebody, don't fucking celebrate right there. You actually have to count them out first. Anyway, so just shit like that where um, there's moments where the sympathetic or the parasympathetic, you really have to learn to control it. Or That's why, like I say, like even high-level fighters will punch themselves out because they get too excited. So they just put out too high a pace, right? And and really, they're putting out too high a pace because they're, they're, they're in too much of a sympathetic mindset, not enough of the parasympathetic. Right. So it's like the, the mindset can kind of control the parasympathetic or sympathetic, uh, sometimes just like the emotions beforehand. So, for example, when you're working with people that have never fought before, sometimes or, or even like people that are just new into fighting, I would say like sometimes you're talking to a guy backstage and, and all of a sudden you see this moment where they like glossed over and they're not listening to you anymore. And they literally can't hear a fucking word you're saying because they're already in such a sympathetic state. They're already yep. in the fight in their mind. So it's two hours before the fight. We're trying to wrap their hands and they're fucking stuck in this yeah. like weird side, you know? And then, and then like for me, for example, like I was a big fan of this guy Hayato Sakurai when I was a kid. He was like my favorite fighter growing up in the 90s. And he would come out and it would almost look like he was on fucking heroin when he would come out. He was so calm, right? And so I was always like, yeah, that's how I wanted to be. So I would come out like that and I would come out really calm. But then I remember one of my teammates one time being like, man, sometimes you come out too calm, bro. It makes me worried. You know, <laughs> I, was always like, I was always like, well, I'm going to come out calm like that. So I'm in that pair because it's, it's, uh, um, I'm a person that I, I've never fucking done. I, I don't like uppers. I've never done cocaine because I'm already too up to begin with. Yeah. So I, I need like downers as a person. Cause if you give me an upper, like the room would explode. So, um, so, so for me, it was about trying to stay parasympathetic before the fight started. Right. right. So, so there's so many moments where you're like, okay, cause I know I'm going to be sympathetic. And, and what ended up happening in one of my fights, I come out and the guy fucking cracks me with the overhand and it like woke me up and I went, woo. And then I started fucking fighting, like did a Ric Flair woo. 
And so it's funny how like it, you'll do shit in fights that you never thought you would ever do. Like I never thought I'd fucking go woo after I got hit, but I did it in a fucking fight, right? So, um, so you have these moments where like you're trying to stay parasympathetic, but then obviously I'm gonna get very sympathetic, and you're trying to weigh the two. And you'll often see fighters that like can stay in that parasympathetic state, but while they're staying extremely focused, will like have better cardio. So for example, like my teammate Demetrius, my ex-teammate Demetrius Johnson, when he just fought Adriano Marias and he had that flying knee knockout, you could see how like, even when he's on the bottom and Adriano's like doing these things where Adriano should be like winning the fight, DJ was like so calm and staying calm that he's hitting and doing damage from positions that the other guy should be winning from or whatever. And I could almost tell that in a short amount of time, he's going to take over. And that and that's ended up what being half. I felt like that could have happened in the first fight, unfortunately got knocked out. But the second fight was like, over time, you're just going to see him take over with his like calmness and his decision-making, right? And he's also got great cardio and speed. But, uh, um, and, and so I, I look for that in fighters to the point where you're, you're looking for somebody that can like, be using their mind in that parasympathetic state, but also has the sympathetic awareness of when to turn things right away or when to uh, use it to an advantage to go, okay, I'm not going to go too sympathetic or I'm going to gas out. I, I often point out too, like, so Joel would talk about fitness or conditioning and oftentimes fighters are fit enough to go the rounds, but they might not be conditioned to go. So yeah. in other words, like, I point out when like Shane Carwin lost to Brock Lesnar, like Shane Carwin gassed in one round because he got so excited from being able to beat up Brock Lesnar that the second round Brock Lesnar comes out and kicks his ass. I really think if Shane would have stayed calm, Shane was like a way better fighter than Brock Lesnar, but he just came and gassed himself out so fast. And that dude trained at elevation in Denver. That dude was always like in great shape. So I know he was probably fit for five, five minute rounds, but as soon as he injured Brock and hopped on him and blew it. He, he just went crazy. He wasn't conditioned to be in that environment to go that hard in that moment. So even though he had good fitness levels, he wasn't conditioned for that moment. And that's what ended up gassing him out. And so Joel would always talk about there's fitness, but then there's being conditioned. And when you're conditioned, you're like conditioned for the moment. And that's when you see guys kick on that parasympathetic and use more of a mental clarity versus Ah, go, go, go. Real quick, Ben, are we looking good on time? Or are we about... We're about uh, I got to be out of here in about five minutes or so, so we got to wrap okay. up. Okay. I got a real quick question for or topic to respond to that. So you're, you're talking about sympathetic, parasympathetic. I kind of equate the two with subconscious and conscious. Majority of us live in a consciously sympathetic state because we indoctrinate, we think our way through a problem as opposed to uh, our body is designed with the feedback response to tell us whether or not what we're doing is safe and if it doesn't really have a consequence for safe then we can just be okay with it but at the end of the day we avoid so much emotional experience just because it does uh it does differentiate how we feel and a lot of us don't like to think through how we feel because we're not good at it and that usually uh, means that we ruminate or we'll just, like stick to like circulating the thought and then we won't really get through the shit um, what that means for me is like a visual system usually uh, means sympathetic uh, tone to the nervous system, just because if you're working through your visual field and you're not working through other sensory inputs, you're working through moving 
to the stimulus as opposed to receiving it like auditorily. And that's why some people are really bad at hearing when they're uh, like, for me, I have terrible hearing when I get worked up uh, and, or I have a very, very sensitive hearing. I can't hear like low speaking, but I can hear almost every other noise. Um, and a lot of the things that we do uh, in response to our stimulus is like, as soon as we lose a sense or one of our senses goes a little wonky, we start to panic. And then we start to try to tension something that we have a lot of sympathetic or conscious control over. And that garners us immediacy of like, I feel myself in space. So I'm not as worried about finding the scope of where I am. When people aren't very good at finding out where they are in space, particularly when there's fists flying at them or there's the threat of competition, there's going to be that aspect of immediately going into how do I keep myself alive here? And it's not even going to be a rational thing. If we get people to, like you say, go parasympathetic and have a clear mind, what we're really saying is the mind uh, does two different things. It can, in its more modern sense, create uh, thought and create interactable like uh, uh, sense memory and figure out uh, what something means by association or comparison. And so it's using like its litany of memories to be like, this is something I remember. The other way in which it can, it can think is limbically. And this is like the id brain, this is like the lizard brain, the instinct. This is the thing that uh, was first before the neocortex and that is, we respond to the sensation that exists in our body and that starts to accumulate memory or retain a retained sense memory. And that in essence is uh, what the value of emotion is. The uh, people say uh, emotion lives in the body or the organs. What they're really saying is emotion is your ability to differentiate between safety in an experience so if you have an experience that makes you feel unsafe or you don't really know how to think through it there might be a surplus of emotion and there's a lacking deliverable of i remember how to think through this or i remember how to handle this typically when we have a lot of emotion we just go panicky when we go panicky we can if we live in that state we can be consistently reactive we can be consistently uh or, or sorry sympathetic the way in which we become parasympathetic more often is we learn how to respond to something and we learn how to create language with our limbic system. We don't try to create language first and then assign emotion to that. We try to, uh, we take assessment and then we learn what the language means for that experience. So for example, if someone, uh, I'm sure this is something you experience more often than not, uh, someone when they start boxing, their shoulders creep up and they start to guard the sides of their neck or they start to like breathe into their upper chest. And there, there's like a lot of the attention goes into the, star, the the shoulder and the upper pec or the back. And someone's almost protecting themselves preemptively before they even have any impact. And it's like uh, the fetal position, so to speak, where someone will immediately go to what is comfortable to their nervous state before they'll go to uh, what is practical for keeping them most comfortable or safe. And sometimes that keeping you safe requires indulging some fear or indulging some danger relative to your consideration. Crazy. Well, I hate to, to have to cut the convo off because um, that was awesome. There was a ton of value, not just for fighters, but just for general life in there. Um, 
So thanks, Michael, for, for coming on. Um, where can people find your stuff and, and whereabouts are you like located and training out of right now? Uh, so I'm, I, I live in Kirkland. Um, I, I coach out of a gym um, in Renton, Washington right now called Vigor Ground and Fitness. Um, shout out to Luca Hosever. He's the owner of the gym and he, he blesses me, man. He's an amazing guy. Great coach too. <clears throat> um, and then as far as like online, uh, Bonafide Boxing for Instagram. And then I have a YouTube channel. We're going to put a lot more stuff on it. Uh, Bonafide Boxing with Michael D. Briggs or Michael David Briggs. I forget what you put, but uh, Bonafide Boxing with Michael Briggs. And then um, I do have Bonafidboxing.com as a website. And we're going to roll that out soon and have like content on there for um, like courses for sale. So eventually here soon, we're going to put on courses um, as well. So Bonafide Boxing on Instagram or Bonafideboxing.com for the website and uh, Bonafide Boxing with Michael Briggs for the YouTube. Uh, <clears throat> I just wanted to say real quick too, um, it was great to meet you. I wish I could have had a little more chats with you or had um, answered a few more of your questions, but I talked way too much. But uh, um I just wanted to say also shout out to uh, Chris from S10 because that is how I got in contact with Nathan. And um, that guy changed my mindset of, of training um, and under, like he, he, he put neurology in a way I don't think anybody else on this planet could. Um, and uh, man, I, I, I wish he was still with us, but um, God bless that guy. And, and I appreciate him for hooking me up with Nathan. Yeah, I appreciate the nice words. That dude saved my life. He was a gift on this earth. Yeah, no doubt. Really. Yeah, we'll, we'll have to have you back on, man, because there, there's tons of stuff that we could unpack, I'm sure. Yeah, I would, I would love to be back on. I appreciate you guys so much. And uh, next boy, time, I'll try, to, I'll try to not talk so much. <laughs> no, man, that's why you're here, man. It's a podcast. All right, homie. All right, take care, dude. Pleasure talking. You have a great rest of your day. Thank you. Thank you.